All right, uh, good evening to our brothers and sisters in the faith. Thank you so much for again attending our Bible History Project. Sorry we missed you last week, but we're so happy to continue today, which would be the last chapter of the book of Genesis. I can't wait to uh, complete the book of Genesis, but before we do that, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and merciful God in heaven, Thank you so much, O oh Father, yes. for maintaining our life and our strength. Yes. Every day is a gift from you, yes. and we want to make the most of it. We believe by studying your holy words, yes. we will not only be guided to know your will, yes. we will be strengthened as well, because your words indeed feed our soul yes. and give courage to our hearts. Amen. Bless us with hope today, Father. Teach us to focus upon your promises, yes. which we know never, ever fails. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you as well. Yes. May you please increase our faith. God has planned you long ago. And so we are truly fortunate yes. that we are witnesses to your power, yes. how it works in us and through us, that we can properly represent you to the world. Help us to be your loyal followers as we study the teachings from the Holy Scriptures. We believe, Father, that you have listened to our prayers. We ask everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. All right. Uh, we are finally at the end of the book of Genesis. Remember, Genesis has 50 chapters, right? We're going to do 49 and 50. Actually, the end of 49 and the entire chapter 50 to complete the book of Genesis. Last uh, Bible History Project episode, we talked about uh, Jacob when he gave up the blessings to his 12 sons, which would be the basis for the future and the course of the nation or people of Israel. Now, after he gave his 12 blessings and his 12 prophetic statements, what was his command or instruction to his sons? Let's begin here in Genesis 49, 29 to 32. Then Jacob commanded his sons, now that I am going to join my people in death, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite at Machpelah, east of Mamre in the land of Canaan. Abraham bought this cave and field from Ephron for a burial ground. That is, uh, that is where they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, that is where they buried Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. That is where I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. Bury me there. And so after he gave out his blessings, his prophetic statements to each of his sons, what was his final request? His instruction to his children. He said, I want you to bury me, not in Egypt, but where? In Canaan. Remember, this conversation is taking place where? In Egypt, hundreds of miles away from Machpelah. That is where he wants to be buried. Take note, which is quite unusual for me anyways, that he would prefer to be buried in Machpelah rather than, than in Bethlehem, who was buried in Bethlehem. Do you still remember? Who was buried in Bethlehem? Rachel. Rachel. That was Jacob's favorite, right? But in his final request, 
he says to his sons, bury me in Machpelah, that is where I buried Leah. This is quite unusual. One would think that he would prefer to be buried where? In Bethlehem, not in Machpelah. Maybe Machpelah and uh, Bethlehem are far off in distance. Machpelah happens to be in Hebron. Let's go to the next slide. Here's a map of Hebron at the bottom. And Bethlehem is not too far away from Hebron. As a matter of fact, next slide, it's only 13.4 miles away from Hebron. So if a Jacob is going to be taken all the way to Hebron from Egypt, it wouldn't be too much of a problem to go an extra 13.4 miles northward to go to Bethlehem. Nevertheless, he chose Machpelah, not Bethlehem, which causes a lot of people to speculate. Why, right? Well, we don't really know why. I can't give you the direct answer. I don't know why. However, there's one possibility. Next slide. God favored Leah over Rachel. Because when it comes to Leah, she was more focused on praising the Lord God. But Rachel, she was guilty of stealing the idols from his father, right? The household gods. And maybe because of that, he was not, she was not allowed to go to the cave in Machpelah. We don't know. It's just speculation. It's just possibility. However, this is not speculation. Perhaps the reason why. Uh, Jacob decided to be buried in Machpelah is because of Genesis 49, 30 to 31. This is the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite as, what does it say? A permanent burial site. Perhaps he chose Machpelah as a way to honor Abraham because he was the one who bought the field so that it can be a permanent burial site. And in that burial site, who were already there? Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, and Leah. So he's going to join them in that tomb, in that burial field. Now, there's an observation that we can make here, okay? What is that observation? Next slide, please. So in Genesis 49, 31, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, and Leah are all buried there, right? What we're going to do now, we're going to take the Hebrew names of these individuals because what we have here are the English names. For example, next slide, Isaac. What's his Hebrew name? Uh, next slide. It's Yitzhak. Do you see the resemblance? Yitzhak, Isaac. Yitzhak, that's his Hebrew name, but it gets easier. I know that was kind of difficult. Who also was there? Sarah. What is Sarah's Hebrew name? Next slide. Shara. Not too far off, right? How about Rebecca's Hebrew name? Next slide. Rabacha. Rabacha. How about Abraham? What do you think it is, Abraham? You're right. Next slide. Abraham. <laughs> Exactly the same, right? Well, how about Leah? How is it spelled in Hebrew? Next slide. La'ah. So these are the people buried in Machpelah. Yitzhak, Shara, Rabaka, Abraham, and La'ah. Now take a look closely at the first letters of every name. Let's go to the next slide. What do you notice? 
It spells a word. What is that word? Next slide. Yisharal. <laughs> Do you know what Yisharal is? In Hebrew, Yisharal is Israel. <laughs> Next slide. Which means the nation of God or Israel. And so Machpelah contains the names of people that spell out the nation of God, Yisharal or Israel. I just wanted to kind of show that to you. Kind of neat, right? But uh, even if we don't understand or know that, it doesn't really make much of a difference. But it kind of shows us the wonderful things in God's words if we look deeper and we look closer. Now, after he makes a request that he gets buried in Machpelah, what happens to Jacob? Next slide. Genesis 49, 33, when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he lay back down and died. So he dies, and as he died, what happened to Joseph? Genesis 50, so we're in chapter 50 now, one down to three. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph told the physicians who served him to embalm his father's body. So Jacob was embalmed. The embalming process took the usual, how many days? 40 days. And the Egyptians mourned his death for 70 days. So after Jacob passed, who was deeply, deeply griefed? Who was that? Joseph. He wept and kissed him. And he gave instructions to the physicians, embalm Joseph's or embalm Jacob's body. How long is the embalming process? 40 days. It took a long time back then, right? Today, how long does it take to embalm a body? Less than a day, right? You just inject, inject the chemical and you're good to go, right? Back then, it took 40 days. So kind of gives you some background on the embalming process. Next slide, please. What does that look like to you? A mummy, right? The mummification. So the Egyptians, they were one of the first ones to use the embalming process. It took 40 days and it involved the following process. Next slide. So in the Egyptian uh, embalming process, the first thing you had to do was to remove the internal organs, the liquid, so that it mitigates against a decay process. Because when something has a lot of liquid, there's a lot of bacteria. It, it, it quickens the decay process. So you remove the liquid, you remove the internal organs, and then the body is washed with wine and then stuffed with bags of natron. Any idea what natron is? Natron is a natural substance that is found in abundance along the Nile River, and it's made up of, surprise, surprise, salts, sodium carbonate, sodium bicarbonate, sodium chloride, and sodium sulfate. Why do you think salt was used? What is salt? It is a preservative. The body is then wrapped tightly in cloths, soaked in pitches. The body was brought back to the family so that they could put it in a wooden coffin shaped like a human body. After that, they placed the body in the burial chamber. The dehydration process took about 40 days. It took the Egyptians another 30 days to mourn over Jacob because Jacob was much loved by Joseph and Joseph, well, he was the boss basically of over the entire land of Egypt. So if he was mourning, Egypt was mourning with him. So 70 days of mourning. And so after that, what did Joseph request? Genesis 54 to 5, 
when the period of mourning was over, Joseph approached Pharaoh's advisors and said, please do me this favor and speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. Tell him that my father made me swear an oath. He said to me, listen, I'm about to die. Take my body back to the land of Canaan and bury me in the tomb I prepared for myself. So please allow me to go and bury my father. After this burial, I will return without delay. So what was the request of Joseph? To fulfill his father's instruction. So he said to Pharaoh, please give me permission to go to Canaan and bring my father there. Was it granted this request of his? Genesis 50 verse 6, Pharaoh agreed to Joseph's request, go and bury your father as he made you promise, he said. And so, not surprisingly, Pharaoh said yes. Of course, not only did Pharaoh say yes, he sent an entire entourage to accompany Joseph. Next slide, Genesis 50, 7 to 9. So Joseph went up to bury his father. He was accompanied by all of Pharaoh's officials. Can you imagine that? All of Pharaoh's officials, all the senior members of Pharaoh's household, even the household, the, the senior members, and all the senior officers of Egypt. Joseph also took his entire household and his brothers and their households. But they left their little children and flocks and herds in the land of Goshen. A great number of chariots and charioteers accompanied Joseph. So not only did Pharaoh say, yes, he said, all of Egypt, go accompany this man because he's in deep mourning. That, that goes to show you the respect they had for Joseph and also for Jacob. And so that's a lot of people, right? Can you imagine how large that entourage is? Can you imagine how many camels that was? And not only that, not only was it a large entourage, can you imagine the travel across the desert? I mean, this was not a two-day travel, right? Next slide. We're talking about a trip that would require weeks uh, to be able to accomplish. Again, it shows you how much they loved and respected Joseph. And so once they finally arrived in Canaan, what did they do? Uh, what did they do first? Genesis 50 verse 10, when they arrived at the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan River, they held a very great and solemn memorial service with a seven-day period of mourning for Joseph's father. So additional days of mourning after a great and solemn memorial service. The memorial service was so solemn, who took notice? Genesis 50 verse 11, the local residents, the Canaanites, watched them mourning at the threshing floor of Atad. Then they renamed that place, which is near the Jordan, Abel Misraim where they said this is a place of deep mourning for these Egyptians. And so according to the Holy Scriptures, the, the local people, when they watched how moving that, that service at Memorial was, they actually changed the name of the place, right? They renamed the place Abel Mizraim. Again, it shows you how much they loved Jacob and how much they loved and respected Joseph. And so where do they bury uh, jo uh, Jacob's body? Genesis 50, 12 to 13. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried his body to the land of Canaan and buried him 
in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre. This is the cave that Abraham had bought as a permanent burial site from Ephron the Hittite. So that's the burial of Jacob, right? After this, Joseph goes back to Egypt. When they got back to Egypt and they left Jacob there in Canaan, I wonder what the brothers were thinking about. But before we go there, I forgot to tell you. Next slide, please. Just in case, um, we discussed this in detail in BHP 20, right? The, throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, the people of God, they buried their dead. They did not cremate their dead. Okay, for more detail, please refer to BHP 20, and we will tell you exactly why. Okay, so that's the burial. So they go back to Egypt. The brothers, if you were the brothers, Jacob's gone, what would you be thinking now? Joseph is the main person now. What would you be thinking if you were the brothers? Jacob is gone. <laughs> How would you be feeling? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, Genesis 50, 14 and 15, after burying, burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now, now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. And so they were thinking... The only reason why Joseph was so kind to them was because of Jacob. And so now that Jacob was gone, Joseph's true colors will show up. And they were afraid because they knew how they mistreated Joseph. And so what plan did they come up with? Genesis 50, 16 to 17. So they sent this message to Joseph. And this was probably fabricated, right? Before your father died, Joseph. Joseph, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin is treating for, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. So what was the plan they came up with? They made up a story. Well, you know, Joseph, this is what dad said. <laughs> this is dad said. Uh, you have to forgive us, <laughs> right? Please forgive us for the great wrong that we did to you. You know, when the brothers approached Joseph about that, you know how he felt? Next slide, Genesis 50, 17 to 18. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. Imagine that. Joseph had a good heart, right? This is why he was a type of who? Jesus, right? You know, Joseph was probably weeping because his brothers are unable to accept that he actually cares for them, right? Maybe sometimes the Lord Jesus Christ feels that way about us. If there will be times when we think, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ will never forgive me. Maybe there are times when we think about, you know, we maybe messed up, we did something wrong, and we say to ourselves, the Lord Jesus Christ will surely not listen to me this time, right? And so here's Joseph, he broke down and he wept because his brothers could not believe that the help that he was showing was genuine. It came from him. And so what did Joseph do? 
Genesis 15, 19 and 21. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended harm to me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. He has a good heart, right, Joseph? And that's because he really loved his brothers. He really loved Jacob. He really loved the people of Yasharel. That's Joseph. And when it comes to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it should be the same thing. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ had this to say about us. Okay, Remember, we have been bought by his blood. Because we were bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? We are now sons and daughters of God. Before, we were enemies. But by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have become the sons and daughters of God. And this is what Christ has to say to all of us. And I hope you believe him. This is what he says. In John 8, 34, 36, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family. What does it say? Forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Never forget that. This is why if ever you know, we as human beings falter, Lord Jesus Christ is there. Do not run away from him. Run to him. Believe Christ when he says, when I set you free, you are free for good. Joseph's brothers could not accept that right away. It was too good for them to be true. Sometimes when we think of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and continues to do for us, we probably might say the same thing. It's too good to be true. Brethren, when we say it's too good to be true, we break the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave up his life because he loves us. He wants us to believe that, to really believe that, that he has set us free and we are truly free. So eventually Joseph's brothers get it. They felt the love of Joseph, right? And so they prosper and Joseph prospers as well. They're in Egypt. In fact, how was their life? Uh, how does the Bible show the kind of prosperity they had? Genesis 50 22 down to 23. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. They prospered in Egypt, especially Joseph. Joseph lived to the age of 110. He lived to see three generations of descendants of his son Ephraim. And he lived to see the birth of the children of Manasseh's son, Machir, who claimed, whom he claimed as his Oh, so he saw his grandkids, great-grandkids, right? He saw three descendants of his son Ephraim. And so he enjoyed the last years of his life. And we assume likewise for the brothers of Joseph. And so they prospered there in Egypt. But of course, time will come when all of us are going to die. Joseph too is going to die. And so before he died, what was his wish and instruction? Genesis 50. And the verse is 24, soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give 
to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Before he died, what did he say to the people he was with, to his sons and all of his descendants? He said, soon I will die, but remember the prophecy, right? The prophecy that was first revealed to who? Abraham. What is that? That they will occupy the promised land. A promise that God gave to Abraham, to Isaac, confirmed to Jacob. And now Joseph is declaring that prophecy to the people of Yasharel. This is why, as people of God in these last days, we need to go back to the prophecy. We need to hold on to the prophecy of our almighty God. And so he tells that to them. And when he died, what happened to him? Genesis 50 and the verses 26. This is the last verse of Genesis. Genesis 50, 26. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Would it be nice to see the coffin in Egypt where Joseph is at? Would that be nice? That would be nice, right? And it's a good thing. There's this website, the next slide please, called Patterns of Evidence. It's a nice website and it's a team of archeologists and they look for artifacts and archeological digs. They do a lot of research um, because they want to prove, they want to show to the world that these stories and the events of the Bible are history. They're not made up, it's not fiction. It's based on history. That's why if you have time, you go to that page, Patterns, just type in Patterns of Evidence, and they revealed the work of the Austrian Archaeological Institute because they made a major discovery that we talked about before. Next slide. Remember, they were looking for the place of the Ramses. They wanted to locate where possibly the people of Israel gathered there in Goshen. And so they found it, but they could not find any evidence of Hebrew, um, Hebrew people staying there until somebody, next slide, found Avaris, remember, right? In Avaris, what did, they what did they find in that site? Next slide. The palace garden has a cemetery. They found a cemetery with Semitic burials. What does Semitic mean? Non-Egyptian, it is of Hebrew origin. So it was distinct. You can tell the culture differences when you go dig up archeological artifacts. And so this cemetery was obviously Hebrew, not Egyptian. Well, Egyptian burials tend to be straight bodied, buried on their back, Semites buried their deads on their sides in semi-fetal position. All the pottery and weapons found in the tombs are of Canaanite origin. Of all the burials, there were 12 prominent tombs, 12 main graves for men of seniority. I wonder who the 12 represent, the 12 sons of Israel. And so this is a model of uh, that burial site. Next slide. Here's a, another look at it from a different angle. You can see the different burial sites, the different tombs, but there was one tomb that kind of stood out from the rest. You notice it? Yeah. There was one tomb that stood out from the rest. Next slide. Among the main graves, all tombs, right? Next slide. 
Among the main graves, all vaulted tombs, is a single grand pyramid tomb. Did you, did you notice that pyramid tomb? With the broken remains of a three-meter-high sitting statue of a Semitic lord in a long, rich, multicolored coat, believed by Roll and others to depict the famous vizier, Anku, the historical vizier who served under Amenemat III. So that was a pharaoh. And so the pharaoh had a right-hand man, a prime minister. That's what you call a vizier. And his name was Anku. Could it be that this was in reference to Joseph? It could be. I mean, look at the long, rich, multicolored coat. And he was of Semite or Hebrew origin. And so they found a tomb that was, next slide, in this shape. It was a pyramid shape. It stood out from the other tombs. The 12 major tombs in the cemetery, this one stood out. And inside this tomb was a statue. And the statue was described by archaeologists in the following manner. Next slide. Between 1986 and 1988, Professor Biatak found remains of a monumental statue that seems to have belonged to a non-Egyptian ruler of Avaris. Although only fragments remain, the archaeologists estimate the original size of the seated figure to be two meters high and 1.5 meters in depth, or about one and a half times life size. Over the statue's right shoulder, you can still see a his throw stick, the symbol of his rule. On the back, remarkably, as with the biblical Joseph, you can still see evidence that this ruler was wearing a striped garment made up of at least three colors, black, red, and white. He was found in a tomb. Next slide. This is what they found. And they reconstructed it. Next slide. And this is a, a, a computer-generated reconstruction of what it might have looked like. So this statue was in that tomb. However, something unusual they found in that tomb. You know what it was? Next slide. Unlike any of the other main graves, which retained their bones and buried valuables, the body in the pyramid tomb had long been removed in what seems to be an act of piety. Grave robbers plunder treasure, not bones. And so what was unusual about that tomb? There were no bones, <laughs> unlike the other tombs. Now, why are we not surprised by this discovery? Well, there was a passage in Genesis 50 that I purposely forgot not to read yet. <laughs> what was that? Remember Genesis 50, 26 was the last passage? I did not read Genesis 50, 25. What is that? Genesis 50, 25. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. And he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. Remember before Jacob died, he gave instructions to his sons, take me to Canaan, bury me there. Joseph, before he died, he gave a similar instruction. Take my bones with you when you go back to Canaan, the promised land. This is why we're not surprised the bones are not found there. Because it was taken back. Well, who brought it back? Well, let's find out. The book of Exodus 13, verse 19. We're going to jump to Exodus. Moses 
took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. So after 400 years, they leave Egypt to go to the promised land, right? And what does Moses do? He brings the bones of Joseph. Does Moses make it to the promised land? No. Who makes it to the promised land? Joshua. Joshua leads the people to the promised land. He divides the territory according to the tribes. And when he did that, after Joshua died, who, who was buried and where was he buried? Joshua 24, 32, the bones of Joseph, which the Israelites had brought along with them when they left Egypt, were buried, Shechem, in the parcel of ground Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor for a hundred pieces of silver. This land was located in the territory allotted to the descendants of Joseph. Remember when Jacob was blessing his sons? He gave extra property to Joseph, the land he bought in Shechem, right? That is where Joseph was buried. And Shechem happens to be the capital of Manasseh and Ephraim, the two sons of Joseph. And so I want you to imagine, hundreds of years later, Joseph's bones, they were being carried by the people of Israel. And they take them, they take the bones all the way to Shechem. And only after the conquest do they bury the bones or the remains of Joseph. I don't know if you notice something about the patriarchs. Next slide, please. The last request of these two patriarchs, Jacob and Joseph. Jacob, what was his request? Bury me with my father and grandfather in the cave of Machpelah. Did they do that? Did they do that? Yeah. I mean, they went out of their way to do that. It was not a comfortable thing to do. It required a lot of sacrifice, a lot of effort, right? Can you imagine a whole caravan, a whole entourage? Hundreds of miles, but they did it. Joseph, what was his request? You must take my bones with you to bury me there in Canaan, in Shechem. Is that what they did? Yeah. I don't know if you noticed this, but they really went out of their way, right? They went out of their way to fulfill the dying instructions of their father. Does that remind you of someone? Does that remind you of anyone who passed about 10 years ago? No? <laughs> did he have a dying request? Did he? He did, right? You know, when the people of God, when they have like a last request, a deathbed request, the patriarchs honor that. You know why? Do you know why the people of God honor that Exodus 20, verse 12, because of God's command. Honor your father and mother, and you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. One of the ways you honor your father, one of the ways you honor your mother, is by honoring their dying wish and instruction. This is why they went out of their way to get that done, because they want to honor 
their fathers. Next slide. So one of the themes in Genesis is how God's people would go through great lengths to honor their, their father's final request. How about during the Christian era? This is something that is also the will of our God. Matthew 15 verse 4. This is what Christ says. For God said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. This is why, brethren, if your father before he passes or your mother before she passes has a request from you, and it's not against the will of God, brethren, it is our duty to honor that. It is our duty to complete that. Do you get that? I mean, whether we like it or not, we have to accept the reality of our situation. As human beings, we're all going to die. People we love are going to die. The least we can do to honor those who are going to die is to fulfill what was instructed to us. Their dying wish, let us fulfill that. And also, you know, when God's will, what is also God's will when it comes to someone who knows they're going to die soon? This is what it says in the book of Isaiah, 38 verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was about to die. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, came to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Give final instructions to your household because you're about to die. You won't get well. What is the will of God? If you're a parent, you're a parent, you're a father, and you know you're going to die soon. What does God want you to do? The Bible says this is what the Lord says. Give final instructions to your household. That's the duty of the father. What's the duty of the children? Carry it out. Carry it out. This is why before we pass, let us ask God for the opportunity to fulfill this. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, before he died, he had a final request. Did you know that? Yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, he had a request. His dying words, what did he say? John 19, 26, 27, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Lord Jesus Christ, what was his dying words? Of course, we know the Lord Jesus Christ would resurrect. But before he died on the cross, while on the cross, what did he say to his disciple? He said, take care, basically, of his mother. So he endorsed the care of his mother to make sure that she will be cared for. And so we too, as people of God, we need to put our affairs in order, especially when we know we are going to pass soon. So we end the book of Genesis, right? And in, I guess, in the, one of the Facebook page, we ask you, well, what did you learn? What did you learn? For me? The two things, next slide, two principles in Genesis that was mentioned specifically by Joseph summarizes Genesis. What are they? In Genesis 50, verse 20, this is what he says. Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Did you see that throughout Genesis? Right? How 
the instruments of God, the people of God would falter and sin. Because of that, bad things would happen to them. And what would God do? He would cause that to work together for good. Just like what happened there in Egypt. When Joseph was, was sold into slavery, God used that as a way so that Joseph can be positioned, so that the family can be saved during the days of famine. This is why it's a great summation, summary of Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We saw that throughout Genesis, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Every time they fail, God is the one who causes all things to work together for good according to his purpose. See, God has a purpose. Next slide, please. So that's number one. God causes all things to work together for good according to his purpose. What's number two? Next slide. Joseph also says, soon I will die. Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. You see how sure Joseph was about the help that God provides? If there's one thing we notice in Genesis, the people of God get in trouble, but who's always there to bail them out? God, right? Sarah got in trouble in Egypt. Abraham in Egypt, who bails them out? God. Isaac gets in trouble. Jacob gets in trouble. Joseph, who bails them out? Who is he? God. Even when they did not deserve to be helped, God helped them nonetheless. So number two, next slide, is God, and this is what I want you to place in your mind and in your heart. This is very important. If there's anything that you can get out of Genesis, it's this. Really, your only source of reliable help is who? Our Almighty God. He's the one. Why are we sure He is a reliable source of help? Three things. We're almost done. I just want to add the following three things. Next slide. God is our only reliable source of help. Why? Ephesians 1, 4 down to 5. Even before, even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Even before the creation of the world, God already provided for our help, right? In fact, if you still remember, it was encoded in one word, this Advanced help from God, even before creation was encoded in one word in Genesis. Do you still remember what that word is? What is that word? The very first word of Scripture in the very first chapter and verse of Scripture. What is that word? Next slide. Bereshit. <laughs> yeah, encoded in Bereshit is God's plan before the creation of the world. God planned all along the death of his son so that we can be his sons and daughters. Next slide. So number one, God provided help even before the creation of 
the world. So God is our only reliable source of help because number one, God provided help even before the creation of the world through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Logos, right? What's number two? Psalms 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. What does it say? An ever-present help in trouble. So number two, God's help is ever-present. God provided help before he created us. God provides help even now. He's ever-present to help his people. But number three, what do you think number three is? You can probably guess. God provided help before. God provides help now. What else? What do you think it will be? It will be God will. Next slide, Genesis 50. What did Joseph say? God will surely come to help. This is the prophecy. God helped them before. God will help them again. Next slide, please. So God will help us in the future. This is why he's the only reliable source of help. He provided help even before we were created. He provides ever-present help, and he will help us in the future. And a good example of that is Joseph. Next slide. You know what Joseph said? God will surely come to help, right? You see how sure he is? You know how sure Joseph is that God is going to help his people and bring him back to the promised land? You know how sure he is? Let's continue reading. Next slide, please. In verse 25, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. And he said, when, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. He was so sure. He was speaking almost in the past tense, right? He did not only say God will surely come to help. He says, when God helps you. This is why he said, bring my bones back. That's how sure he was. He was banking on it, his very life on it, that God would bring them back to the promised land. This is why, brothers and sisters, God's help came yesterday, comes today, and it will come tomorrow and forever. And so before we pray, we, the people of God in these last days, God has a promise. What is that? Next slide. The final passage of our studies today, Zechariah 39. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name. And I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say the Lord is our God. You see, God's help was there and provided for even before the creation of the world. Right now, with all the things happening in the world, God also provides help. He's ever-present. But even in prophecy, what foretells the future, the future help is already there. In fact, even the future answer is already there, right? What is the future answer? I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. And the prophecy also says, we will call on whose name? The name of? Whose name? Do you know the name of God? Do you know what the name of God is? 
that's not for today. That's for another day. It's going to take too long in this Bible study. But I just want you to know, time will come when we will call on his name. We will ask for his help. And the answer is already provided. I will say to them, they are my people. And they will say, Lord, is our God. Okay? That is our lesson for today. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much, O oh God. Indeed, you are an ever-present source of help. And we are truly grateful to uncover the biblical truth that even before the creation of the world, you thought of us so much so you provided way so that we can become your adopted sons and daughters. Thank you for we are your people. As you have helped us before, we know you will help us tomorrow and in eternity to come. Never have you failed us. And so, Father, we are firm in our resolve. When we call upon your name, you will respond, O oh Father, to care for your people. Our life is short, but you have another life that you plan for us. How we long to receive eternal life. Lord, remember your people. Teach us to live by faith and to keep hoping, O oh God. Because in you, nothing is impossible. Our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for forgiving our sins. We believe when you proclaimed our forgiveness, we now belong to your family. And we will remain sons and daughters of our Father all the days of our life. This gives us confidence and joy deep within our heart. So much joy, O oh Lord. That even though from time to time we face trial and tribulation, the thought that you have forgiven us and the plan that you have for us, it overcomes all of these pains and suffering because we know in the end we will be with you forevermore. Amen. Father, remember your people throughout the world. May you help those who are being oppressed and persecuted. May you save us and deliver us, O oh God. And bless us with peace that surpasses all understanding. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people, O God. For we ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters. That is our lesson for today. So next week, we're going to do... What's the next book? I forgot the next book. What is it? What is it, sister? Yeah. Exodus. Yes. The book of Exodus next week, and we will find out what happens to Joseph and his family. Okay, that's for next week. Okay, that's all. And may God bless all of us.